Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. If you're watching online, thanks for being with us as well. If you were here this last week, you know that I began our time by reminding you as a church what are two foundations that we have as a church here at South Hills Church. And what I want to do is just for a moment, just remind you of those foundations again, and then again, explain why they're so important to us. And so let me just remind you of the two foundations here at South Hills. These are foundations for the early church that guided the early church still guide us today. The two foundations are this, the Bible and the gospel. That for us, the Bible is our final authority and the gospel is our only hope. And so we are uh, just want to hold those things very tightly, closely as the foundations for us as a church. And they're important for us as foundations because they guide us and help us stay in alignment with God's purposes and his priorities. And so this last fall, if you were here, you may remember we did a series called Align where we just simply said, what would it look like for us as a church and for as individuals to be aligned with God in His purposes and priorities? And really to help us stay aligned, we have these foundations. They help us understand what it is that's on God's heart that needs to be on our heart as well. And so if I may, let me just remind you of the three priorities that we find in Scripture that help us know, oh yeah, this is a purpose, the purpose of the church and the priority for us as followers of Jesus. And so let me remind you of those three priorities. The three priorities are this, and we just summarize it in three words, engage, equip, and empower. Engage, equip, and empower. The first one, engage, engage with God and God's people. That brings us back to the great commandment where Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is, we're to have this love for God, but then we're also to what? Love people. So there's an engagement that we as people, are, our purpose, we're designed to engage with God and then engage with other people. Love God and love others. Then the equip part, equip the church. That's found in Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about how God gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and shepherds in order to equip the church so that the church can grow in maturity. And part of what we do here at South Hills Church is try to equip the church, help you grow, and so that we may growing, be growing as a body towards maturity. And then empower, that's the great commission, the Matthew 28, where it says we are called to make disciples. And the point is that we're reproducing ourselves, that we're making disciples who make other disciples. And that's not a great suggestion. That's the great commission. That's what we're all called to do. By the way, these purposes, these priorities aren't just for South Hills Church. They're for anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These are our priorities. These are the the purpose that God has for us that we're to follow. And we just took it a little bit further and summarized it into six other words to kind of help us say, okay, this is part of our vision and strategy here at South Hills Church, that we want to be people that worship and connect, that there's a, a worship that's a responsiveness to God and then connect, that we love others, that we reach out, we, we, we form community, that there's the equip part, that we're growing, and that we're serving, and then there's the empower part, that we're investing in the lives of others, that's the reproduction, reproduction part, and then the invite part is that we're inviting others to come to know Jesus as well, that we're making disciples of all nations. So this is, again, part of our strategy, our vision, that's just simply us saying, God, how can we be aligned with you? your purpose for us, your priorities. Now today what I want to do is focus in on the grow aspect here, the equipping side of things. We want to equip you and help you grow and change. 
And many of you are here saying, yes, I want a little growth and change in my life, right? We, we need that. We want that. And so what we want to do is help you grow. And today we're going to start a series to help you grow. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, Scott, aren't we going through a series on grace? And the answer is yes, we are. We've been going through for the past three weeks a series on the power of grace. But today we're making a shift and we're now talking about the practices of grace. That is, we are going to be looking for the next several weeks together on the tools of God's grace, the tools that God has given to us by His grace to help us grow, to help us change. And we want to equip you and help you so that you can say, yeah, what is it that Jesus said? What is it Jesus did so that I can change? The practices of grace. Also, you may be familiar with the practices of grace. Sometimes people call them spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits? What are the exercises, the practices, the disciplines of a growing Christian that God has given to us by His grace? And so that's what we're going to be talking about together for the next several weeks so that we can be learning and growing um, in God's grace and with the tools that He has given to us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, but we've already started that with you. If you know that you've been here for the, with us for the past couple of weeks, as we started the new year, we've said, hey, let's practice reading God's Word together. Let's practice listening to God's voice on a daily basis. And many of you have taken that challenge to say, hey, I want to follow along in the South Hills Bible reading plan. I want to listen to God on a daily basis. And I'll just say this, it's never too late to start, by the way. We have plans that are available uh, in the Info Center. You can go online, follow along with us as we read through the Bible in the year. And you can do it by just focusing on the New Testament or the Old Testament or a psalm a day or just all, all of it. It's great. We just want to encourage you to be people, to be people um, in this church who are listening and responding to God. And I love the value that's been held here for so many years, uh, passed on by Pastor Phil, this, this concept that God's Word in us, what? It changes us. Isn't that good news? And so we're just following along with the, the really the, the history and the values of this church to say, yeah, we recognize God's word in us changes us. So let's practice that so that God can speak to us, we can be responsive to him, and we can be changed. So we're encouraging you, and we want to invite you to invite others along with you in that journey. If you have questions, we'd love to support you now. That's the thing we've already started, but today, because we're starting a new series, I want to provide some additional resources to you. Because some of you are saying, hey, this is great. I come on Sunday and I learn. But what about the rest of the week? What other resources could I maybe pursue or pick up to help me keep growing so that I'm further equipped so that I can be changed and transformed by God's grace? And so what I did is I asked the staff to give a list of uh, book suggestions, books that they have read that have helped them in their own personal lives when, when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And we took that list and we pared it down to four books. And so what I want to do is share them with you because there's so many books out there, right? It's sometimes it's hard to know which way to go, but it's nice to have recommendations. These books come recommended by our staff as resources to you. We'll have samples of them, by the way, out in the lobby So you can take a look at them, look at the table contents, and say, hey, maybe this is something I want to order. But let me just point out the books for you. The first one is this, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I have that one here with me. This is a book um, that is really a classic when it comes to spiritual disciplines. There's a couple of books that are really well-known. One book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. But this is another classic 
on the subject of spiritual disciplines. In fact, this is a book that as a staff we are reading through together this winter and weekly we meet and say how are we what can we learn and glean and be re-reminded of the spiritual practices the disciplines for Christians. And so that's what we're doing as a staff, but it's a great book and it's one of those what we just want to, you to know about as well maybe you want to read along too. The second book is called The Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And this is a, a shorter book, smaller book. So if you're like, that motivates me, this might be a good option for you. It's a bit of a primer on spiritual disciplines. And so that's also one you can see in the lobby, check out and say, hey, maybe that's something I can go a little bit deeper with. Another book um, that came uh, from a recommendation for staff is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. This is a book that was uh, very significantly impactful to Ryan Johnston, our worship director. So this is a book that he read. It impacted him. Matthew Houston also read this book and loved it. And so it's another great book for those of us who sometimes get in the rat race and need to sometimes just be reminded to slow down so we can experience God personally. And so it's a, it's a, it's a book that's been recommended. Another book is this. The fourth book is this, Habits of the Household by Justin Early. And this is a great book especially for parents um, with kids in the home. Because this is a book that just is about saying, hey, families, how can we build in spiritual practices, disciplines um, into the rhythm of your family? So it talks about how we can bring in spiritual disciplines to the mealtime, to the free time, to the game time, all those kinds of aspects of your life as a busy family. How can we say, how can we bring God into that as a habitual part of our family practice. And so these are just books that are resources to you that we want to encourage you to consider as we go along in this series uh, moving forward. Now, that's not all. There's more resources for you. Some of you are like, I'm not a book reader. I just need someone to tell me and train me or teach me. I just want to listen. And that's great. And so this winter, we're going to have something called winter workshops, where we're going to have two Sundays that we'll just set aside where you can come and be a part of a, a workshop, a seminar, where you really get a chance to hear from people who have found spiritual practices that have helped them, and they'll be sharing their practices, tips, encouragement. There'll be dialogue, but those will be happening this winter because, again, we want to equip you. We want to help you. These aren't mandatory, but these are optional ways for you to say, yeah, I want to grow. I want to be changed by God's grace, and so we want to provide these. And of course, ongoing for us here at South Hills Church is the priority of life groups. And so being in community with other people, where you're growing with others, where you're being encouraged, you're walking, and in our life groups, you'll have an opportunity to talk about the things that we're learning and the the things that we're practicing. So it's great to travel with people along the way. So that's the big overview of the spiritual practices, the practices of grace that we're going to be talking about. Because again, what we want to see for you, for me, is growth life change. Now, what I want to do today is talk about life change, but before I talk about life change, I do need to just recognize something about change that you probably already recognize. When it comes to change, it's very difficult. Have you noticed? Have you ever noticed that it's difficult to change? Many of you know what it's like because the truth is if we could change ourselves quickly, easily, we would, but the reality is change is hard. Change is difficult. Change is difficult to initiate. And part of the reason why change is hard in our life is because what we often do when we approach change is we don't want to deal with the core stuff. Instead, we want to deal with the external things. 
that many of us have fallen into the trap and we think to ourselves, well, if I could just change my circumstances, then things will get better. The problem is, it doesn't. That when we focus on the external and we don't realize, stop and say, okay, what about the internal parts, the core things, then change really doesn't take place. The classic example of this is the lottery, okay? Just bear with me for a moment, okay? Just, just for a moment, just imagine that you won the lottery, $20 million or whatever it is or billions of dollars, I don't know. You win the lottery, let me check back with you in five years, And guess what? The research will tell me that you'll be poorer in five years than you are today. Did you know that? That the research, in fact, I read that 70% 70 of people who win the lottery um, declare bankruptcy at some point down the road. And you're thinking to yourself, how is that possible? Well, part of that is just that reality that we try to to, to change the external, it doesn't change us who we are. And so that's just the challenge of it. So while you're shredding your lottery ticket, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you that's not the only bad news. The bad news isn't just that change is hard and trying to exchange external. Change the external doesn't really change the core stuff. Let me, let me get even more brutally honest with you. That the people who study change, people who have researched and studied change, what they'll tell you is not only that it's hard, but that you won't change. That's the bottom line. That change doesn't happen for many of us. And that's, you just go to the whole healthcare arena for that picture, right? That if, if, if I were to say to you, you know, what would it take for you to be healthy? My guess is almost all of you could come up with five things in common that would help you be healthy. In fact, I could sell it to you. I could say, if you are here today and you want to have the secret of living longer and having less pain and having, you know, more enjoyment in life and having, reducing your risk of major disease and and difficulties, would you like to know the secret? And you're like, yes, I would. And then I step back and say, okay, now, before I tell you the secrets, why don't you tell me what, they think, what you think they are? And my guess is most of you would say, well, it probably would require that I control my diet. It probably mean that I need to exercise more. Probably means that, I, means that I need to get proper sleep. Probably means that I, I should probably, you know, drink less alcohol or quit smoking altogether. And probably means I should reduce my stress. Yes! You got it. Amazing, right? And for some of you, you're like, your doctor has been telling you that for years, right? Here's the interesting thing. Your doctor's been telling you that for years, and that's what they learned, that your doctor learned in med school. And guess who taught that doctor that in med school? The previous doctor. And, and what's the, guess what that doctor learned in med school? The same thing. See, this isn't new revelation, by the way. These core things. This is it's not an education issue. This isn't new information. It's an activation issue. That's the challenge. And so the reality is, not just that change is difficult, that the, the, the research in, is behind the fact that we won't change. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I can change you. Jesus says, I can change you. 
And here's the interesting thing. The sooner we can admit that we can't change ourselves, the sooner that we can admit that we, um, we are, there's obstacles when, we're, when it comes to us transforming ourselves, the better and quicker God can change us through Jesus Christ. It's us abandoning hope and confidence in ourselves and saying, yes, Jesus, we need you. We need you to change us. And Jesus says, I can change you. And we understand this. Many of you understand this in terms of the initiation into the Christian life. That, you know, if you were to ask the question, you know, what, is it, how does, what does it take to become a Christian? You would say, well, to become a Christian, I had to be born again, which means I had to abandon confidence in myself and put full faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done. And because of his um, sacrifice and his, his forgiveness, I've been transformed. I'm changed. That's salvation. And guess what? It's a work of grace. It's nothing that you did. That's the initiation into the kingdom of God. But what many people fail to see is that the continuation in the kingdom of God is also by grace. You're initiated into the kingdom of God by grace, but you also continue in the kingdom of God by grace. It would make sense, right? You're born from above that, uh, by God's grace, and you're also grown uh, by God's grace. That's the point. And the passage that we're going to look at today really sets the stage for the mechanism for change, which is God's grace. We'll talk about the spiritual disciplines over the coming weeks, the practices, the tools of God's grace that he's given to us. But really what I want to do is step back and say, well, what's the mechanism behind all of that? And today's passage points out the mechanism of God's grace, God's change, which is God's grace. And so I want to invite you to turn your Bible to Titus, Titus chapter 2. If you have your Bible, um, we'll we'll kind of give you a guide so you can find it. but once you find it, if you, if you don't have it by the Bible, by the way, you, it's, it's printed for you in the, the handout you received on your way in here. But once you find that, let's stand in honor of God's word, and I'll read the passage um, for us together. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Okay, go ahead and have a, have a seat. So looking at this first verse, verse 11 talks about the, the first part. Again, we're going to get to the mechanism of grace, uh, of change, which is God's grace. In verse 11, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, has appeared to offer salvation for all people. And so if you want to fill in the first blank there, right off the bat, I'll give it to you. It's this, that only God and his grace can resolve our past. Only God and His grace can resolve our past. That each and every one of us needed to be saved. That it, at some point, maybe you recognize it, maybe you haven't recognized it yet, that you're drowning. We're drowning in what's called sin, the rebelliousness of God, going our own way. We've needed salvation. And so many of you have said, okay, I need Jesus, and He has saved you from your past. Only Jesus can resolve uh, our past uh, by His grace, His mercy, 
his salvation. And it's a beautiful thing. So you're saying, I just don't get it. Let me, let me just tell you a story. When I was young, growing up, I grew up in Portland. And so for my family, weekend vacations, getaways, time away would always be to the Oregon coast. We would always drive to the Oregon coast. And as a, young, as a young kid, I remember, we've been to all the towns up and down the coast, Oregon coast. But typically, we would go to Seaside and Cannon Beach. Many of you have been there. It's beautiful. I have so many great memories because it's only an hour and a half away. We could just get in the car, go there for a day, go there for a weekend, spend lots of time at the beach. And very early memories of that time as a family going to the beach. But there's one day that stands out clear as day. And it stands out so clearly because it was a day I almost drowned. When we went to the beach, and I, I'm thinking I was probably, I had to be like five, six, seven. Time, I can remember it. And I can remember the day clearly because my brothers and I, I have two brothers, we were making sandcastles, what you do on the Oregon coast. It's typically, you know, too cold to get in the water or do much else, but we were making sandcastles as kids. And so I just, and, and we took the sandcastle building seriously, right? So we were doing major sandcastle work. And when we're doing the, when we're down at the beach, and I'll tell you, because we went to, sand, went to the beach many, many times as a family, we always got the, the speech from my parents. Guess what the speech was? Yes, don't turn your back to the water, don't go too deep into the water, don't go far too far out into the water. All the water, warning, signs, speeches, all that stuff, well rehearsed, well known, but we were serious sandcastle builders. And when you're a serious sandcastle builder, you want to make, you need water to do that and do it well, and especially if you want to make a great moat that goes around the sandcastle, and you need water for that. And my job was to take the buckets down to the ocean to get the water so that we could fill up the moat and have a really great sandcastle. So I would go down and pick water and get water. But I just after, after a time, I realized, you know, it's so shallow, and this bucket only goes halfway, you know, the water just so shallow and mostly sand, a little bit of water. It would be way better if I could go out a little deeper where the water is deeper and I could get a full bucket of water, not just half water and lots of sand. And so I confidently ventured out because I wanted water for our sand castle. And I went out, went deeper and deeper. Now, I didn't want to go too deep. I had shorts on, but I had a, some sort of a jacket or hoodie or something heavy because it was, it was colder. But I went out, waited out, waited out. And as I'm getting the best full bucket of water, guess what happened? boom, a wave hit me and knocked me off my feet. And all I remember is just rolling, rolling, rolling. And I had no clue what was up and what was down. I'm just rolling, and it was absolute panic and fear. And after I'm done rolling, guess what happened? I'm like on the beach, and then guess what happens? I get sucked back in. The undertow just took me right back over. I'm back in the ocean. Another wave. Boom. Smash. I'm rolling, rolling, rolling. I have no idea what's up and down. Now my coat, my jacket, my hoodie, whatever I'm wearing, is weighting me down like a sinker. And I'm at the bottom. I'm bouncing. And I'm, I am I'm drowning. There's no, I have no idea how to get out of this, this spin, this spiral of getting sucked back in. I'm being pulled back into the sea, pulled back into the sea, rolled over and over. And all of a sudden, in the midst of like the worst panic of my short little life, I feel this hand 
come and grab me and pull me up. Guess who it was? My dad. <laughs> Grabbed me. He'd run down from where we were camped up, up on higher in the beach, run down, jumped in the water. He wasn't prepared to jump in the water. He did not have water clothes, all that kind of stuff. He jumped in, into the ocean, reached down, and he rescued me. And guess what? I needed to be rescued. I wasn't going to rescue myself. I was stuck. I was panicked. I was puking salt water. It's awful. To, it's awful. I was gasping for air. I needed to be pulled out because I was drowning. The question is, well, Scott, why did you go into the ocean? Well, I needed water. Well, didn't you hear your dad's warnings? Didn't you see the signs? Yeah. I listened to all the speeches. I'd heard all the signs. In fact, even internally, there was a part of me that says, yeah, ocean, scary, right? There was a part of me that even knew that, not just from my parents' words, but from my own internal sense, the, dan- the dangers of the ocean. But what did I do? I went in anyway, and I made a mess of things, and I needed to be rescued. Listen, each and every one of us has found ourselves falling into the trap of of missing the warning signs and moving forward and getting ourselves in trouble. You been there? And all of us, each and every one of us, needed to be pulled out, to be rescued. That we found ourselves listening to the call, the Bible calls it sin, that voice that says, it'll be okay. It really won't matter. You know, everyone else is doing it. Do what makes you happy. It really, it's not that big of a deal. You go for it. And we do, and we all fall in, don't we? We all fall into that trap. We all find ourselves drowning. We need to be rescued. That's what Jesus did for us. And when Jesus jumped in to rescue us, it messed him up a little bit too, didn't it? Like when my dad jumped into the water, his shoes were soaking, his socks were soaking, his wallet was soaking, you know, his, you know, wind-up, watch this is what they wore before cell phones you know that you know that was soaking sandy it was a mess but jesus when he jumped in guess what he experienced hardship it was cost him something didn't he was beaten he was mocked he ultimately gave his life in sacrifice for us so that we could be rescued that's what jesus did for us that's what this passage is saying listen jesus offers salvation he came to rescue us and not everyone here has fully experience God's rescue in your life. You're still trying to manage on your own. You're still trying to find your own way out of the, the mess that we find ourselves in, the burden of sin, the weight of the, our own rebellious ways of turning from God. But many of you here have found and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've trusted him to rescue you, and he did, and he has saved you. But here's the interesting thing. He didn't just save you and rescue you, but he also wants to help you grow and move forward in your faith. Not just a rescue plan, but a continued sanctification plan that he wants to help us continue to grow in in his grace. And so that's what the next verse is all about. Let me read it for you. It says this. It. What's the it? The it is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The saving grace of Jesus Christ teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So if you want to fill in the next blank, it's this, that only God in his grace 
Only God in his grace can rewrite your present. It's talking about in, your, in this present time that, that God, by his grace, not only wants to save you, but he wants to teach you. He wants to help you change presently. That's what, that's what this passage is telling us. Not just our past, but our present reality. Well, how does he do that? It says here in this passage, this, it says, it teaches us that the it, again, it's God's grace. It's God's grace that teaches us. And that word teach is an amazing word. It's a word that's used um, in the ancient kind of world. It's a, it means child gar- guider or child trainer. Um, and the child, you know, when uh, in the ancient world, not everyone could afford um, education, by the way. So uh, what they would do is they would hire a tutor for their kids, the parents would. But often, same fame as in the ancient world as it is in the modern world, um, kids don't always want to go to school. You, you know what I'm talking about? So they would hire a tutor, but the kids didn't always want to go sit in front of the tutor. They want to go to their own thing. So they would hire also a slave or somebody to be a child guider to make sure that that child would be with the tutor to listen and learn. And sometimes that child guider had to use a little extra reinforcement on the rear end of the child to make sure that the child doesn't skip school. You know what I'm talking about? So this is what, the, the, this, is what this verse is. There's this disciplining, this, this teaching this, that takes place, and that's also a part of God's grace. And this, this makes sense, doesn't it? The disciples were constantly being rescued by Jesus. You know that? They were constantly being rescued, but after he rescued them, then he would sit down and he would teach them. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. He rescues us, and he wants to teach us, and sometimes there's discipline involved to help make sure that we're listening and we're learning. And this is actually what helps us understand, you know, the kind of what happened in in the expression of the Christian church or or with Christians, that there's Christians who have been skipping school. This is why there's so many Christians who are offensive. This is why there's so many Christians who are messed up because they got the first part, the rescue part, but then they didn't stop to say, okay, I now want to be taught. I need to not recognize it's a work of God's grace to be rescued, but it's a work of God's grace to be trained, to be taught, to be equipped, to be changed. And so we stop there. That's where, that's where the, the, the disconnect takes place. And so this passage is saying, well, he wants to teach us. And you may be saying to yourself, well, what does he want to teach us? Well, the curriculum is right here in this verse. It says to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So that it teaches us to start saying no to things. And so if you want to fill in the next blank, it's this, that God's grace drives us away from danger. God's grace drives us away from danger. When my dad rescued me and pulled me out of the ocean and pulled me back up on shore, if I had said to him, hey, dad, thanks a lot, but you know what? I saw some, when I was being tossed around by the waves and drowning, I saw some really cool seashells deep in the water. And I'd like to go back and find those shells. So thanks for the rescue. I'm going back in. What would my dad say? No way. You're crazy. He would say no. And as the rescuer, he has the right to say no, to make that command, to make that demand. In the same way, God, as your rescuer, is saying no to some things. He knows what would be dangerous to you. He knows what would would derail you. And so there's times we just have to say, by God's grace, I need to listen to my rescuer. And he says, no, that's not good for me. This isn't the path that I need to go down. That's God's grace. God's grace says no, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But it's not just that God's grace teaches us to say no, but it also teaches us to start saying yes. And then that's the other side. 
in this verse it says, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. And so the next blank, if you want to fill it in, is this, that God's grace directs us towards discipline. God's grace directs us towards discipline. That God in His grace not only says, here's what you need to not do, these are dangerous, and we need to listen to that, but then He says, here's how to be self-controlled, here's how to live differently as a result, and He trains us, He disciplines us. When, when my dad rescued me, and he pulled me back up to the little beach area where our family was camped, um, he said, hey, let's get you cleaned up. And my mom was there, and, you know, get the towel and get the hoodie off, the soaking hoodie off, and let's get the sand off, and let's get a jacket on, all those things. And at that point, it would be foolish for me to say no, right? But in fact, he wanted, they wanted to help me. They wanted to help me move forward to get away from the stuck, you know, soaking, sandy spot that I was in. Rescued, yeah, but I don't want to stay soaking and sandy. But in fact, I want to be cleaned. I want to be warmed. I want to be in a better spot. That's what God does in His grace. And He says, I don't want to take you from out of the pit, but there's still some slime on you. So guess what? I want to start helping you get that slime off, the sand off, the muck off, so that you're in a better place. This is part of what we say yes to, the spiritual disciplines are part of us simply saying, yes, God, if I can stay close to you. And through these spiritual disciplines, it helps me recognize the dangers that I need to be aware of, but it also helps me recognize what I need to be pursuing, what it is that I need to be practicing and, and, and guide, it needs to be guiding me in my life. So again, God's grace tells us what to say no to, what to say yes to. And it's a very important thing. Then with that, there's a, a part of this passage that says, but it's also a future aspect. So verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This verse says Jesus is coming back. That's awesome. Jesus came and rescued us, but he's also coming back to uh, ultimately redeem us, to come back again. And some of us are going to meet him before he comes back. Uh, either way, there's a future for us. And this, again, it's only God and his grace. If you want to fill in the next blank, only God and his grace can redirect our future. That is, we've been saved from the past. He presently wants to teach us by his grace, but also there's a part of a future direction that by God's grace, it can change the direction of our life. And while we're waiting to either meet Jesus or for him to come meet us, that we would say, how is it that I can live my life in a way that honors him? How can I live my, my life by his grace in a way that honors him? See, my dad, again, he rescued me. And as a result of that, I've always had an appreciation for the danger of water, the reality and the need for water safety, and in and, and the, and the importance of all of that. And so guess what my first job was growing up? I became a lifeguard. <laughs> and I don't know what made my dad more proud, the fact that I got a job or the fact that I was a lifeguard. Um, either way, there was a part of me that said, hey, I, I recognize this is important. And I had to go through training, and I had to practice, and I had to go through a whole process. And eventually, I even had my own moment where I got to rescue someone. But in all of that, it, again, it's a way to honor my dad. He rescued me, and it's a part of me to say, how can I be responsible with the life that I've been given so that when I, when I, when, when I can live a life, that, again, that's honoring, that's worthy to him. And nothing in our life, when we meet Jesus uh, whether he returns or we meet him, um, nothing will thrill you more than to say, God, 
because you've been so gracious to me, here's my life back to you. And it's a life, a worthy life that I've honored you with the life that you've given to me. What an amazing moment that we can have. And so again, it directs our future and helps us say, how can I be living now in a way that honors him for that future time? But then that's not it. The last verse is so powerful because it helps us understand how we can change. And it's in this verse that, again, we get the mechanism for change that's so powerful for us to see. Verse 14, it says this. This is Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself uh, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So if you want to fill in the last blank there or the next blank there, it's this, that God's grace can bring change. God's grace can bring change. This is good news. God's grace can be changed, can bring you change. And then the question is, well, how is it that God's grace, grace brings change? And this is that next little part there where I want you to see God can bring change when we are committed to at least three things. And I just want to show you right here in this passage three things, and I'll, I'll list them for you theologically, and I'll show you where I see it in this passage as well. But let me just give you the first one. The first one is this. God can bring change when we are committed to discipleship. When we are committed to discipleship. What does discipleship mean? Discipleship means simply this, that you're a learner, that you're a follower. The, uh, the disciples followed Jesus. They followed him because they wanted to learn from him. There's a sense in which we say, I got to learn how to be a follower of Jesus. This is how he can um, bring about change in our life. When we come to him and we say, God, I need help. I need to listen to you. I need to follow you. And that's what it says in the passage. It says that he's changing us, but to become a people who are eager to do what is good. That is, we're eager to follow him. We're eager to do what is good. That is what pleases God. That's part of what it means to be a follower, to say, I'm eager to say your way, God, not my way. That's the whole point. And so, again, the theological word is discipleship. But let me give you a very simple word uh, maybe so, sociological word, word that's kind of the same thing that might help you is this. It's the word help. <laughs> it's the word help. And you can make this a prayer. Help, right? I think about Peter, a follower of Jesus, who saw Jesus walking on water. He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And so he jumps out into the water, if you know the story, and he starts walking to Jesus. But then the wind, the waves come, he begins to sink. What does he say? help. <laughs> As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the, one of the greatest prayers you could ever make. Help. I need your help. And when we recognize and come to Jesus and say, I need help, it is the beginning of change. That we abandon hope and confidence in ourselves and say, discipleship means I follow you. I learn from you. I need your help. That's the whole concept. This is where change begins, when we recognize, I need your help. But it's not just that, but there's also the other theological word that I give for you is this, worship. That change, God brings about change when we worship, as we worship Him. And we have a right and a need to respond and worship Him, because this is what it says also in verse 14. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus gave Himself for us. This is that reality that the only hope that we have of change is not what we give, what we bring to God. That's not grace. That's just us trying to earn our way there. And that's not how it works. God's grace is that he gave to us. And in response to that, we worship him. That it's not about us. 
It's about him. And when we recognize, God, it's you that brings change. You are. You're the, you're the, mechan- you're the reason that I have, can have hope to be redeemed and to be purified. It's all rooted in Jesus. So we worship him. Again, I'll give you a simple word to go along with it. Here's the simple word. Ready? It's hope. It's hope. It's recognizing that my hope is not in me, but it's my hope is in Jesus who gave his life for me. That's where my hope lies. For change to take place, it's recognizing here's my hope. It's, in, it's all in Jesus. But then there's a third one. Third one is this, fellowship. Fellowship. Um, and fellowship is important, and I'll show you where you see this in the passage too. In verse 14, it says this, that he's making a people who are his very own. That God, by his grace, and those who have turned to him and been redeemed, he's creating a people, people who can, uh, his, who's very own, who are collectively saying, we are following you, Jesus. We're worshiping you, Jesus. And this is an important aspect of change in our life. And so I'll give you the, the simple word for it is this. The simple word for it is this. It's home. Home. That we would find a home with God's people in fellowship with them. And when I say fellowship, by the way, I know that sometimes fellowship for many people who've grown up in the church, that's the, you know, it's bad punch and stale cookies, and that's not what I'm talking about. Um, fellowship is not churchianity. Churchianity is, is meeting people on Sunday and saying, hi, how are you? Good, good to see you. I'm miserable. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're miserable too. Awesome. Okay, great. Let's keep smiling. Awesome. So good to see you. Okay. Yeah, hey, you know what? Let's, let's meet together next week and we'll lie to each other about how we're doing. It'll be so good. Yes, God bless you. See you next Sunday. That's churchianity, right? There's nothing good in that. Listen, real fellowship is getting together with people and saying, hey, I fell in the, the, I fell in the pit. Right. Oh, you did too? Oh, okay. You saw the signs? Oh, I saw the signs. I think I probably saw more signs than you saw, but I still fell in. We both fell in? Okay, great. Guess what? You're a little slimy. I'm a little slimy still too. And you know what? Maybe we can meet together, help each other out in following Jesus, encourage one another so that we can continue to grow in him and live a life worthy of the one who rescued us. That's fellowship authentic living with other people who recognize we're in the same boat. We're all in need of God's grace. So by God's grace, let's continue to grow together. This is why, by the way, our support groups are so effective in meeting, in making change. Because in our support groups, you go to CR, you go to uh, Celebrate Recovery, you go to Grief Share, it's, it's a recognition that I'm in a spot where I need help. And when we admit it, that's when God begins to work. And we say, I can't do it but only God, you can. So we have the hope aspect. And you, know, you go to Celebrate Recovery, you do the 12 steps, you realize, hey, I'm here because I'm powerless. But guess what? I need a higher power than me. That is my hope. Then I need Jesus to change me. And then the home aspect is I'm now with other people who are all admitting and not lying to each other. We're admitting the fact we're all broken and we need help. So it's help, hope, and home. May we be a church that helps people recognize, yep, this is a place where we all need help. This is a place where we have hope, the hope in Jesus Christ, His grace, that we can have a home here, that we can grow together authentically saying, yes, let's be changed because of God's grace, and let's encourage each other along the way. Let's take a moment and let's thank God for the promises that He's given to us in His Word.
God, as we come into your presence today, we just know that there's a part of us that's hesitant to talk to you about change because we realize and we recognize how radical you can be. And what we'd like to do is give you sort of an approved list of things that we would want you to change and areas of our life that we want you to be hands-off. But today, God, help us to come to you in faith and trust and recognize that you want to change us for your glory and our good. So, Lord, help us to trust you in that. God, I know that there are some people who are here today who are hesitant to ask you for change because of the fear that you may not change change us. But Lord, we humbly come to you and with our fears, with our concerns, and hand over to you the management of change in our life. That you're the one that's in control, that you're the one that can change us. It's only by your grace and to trust you, your timing, and to trust the fact that you can change us. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins so that we can find forgiveness and freedom and life. And God, we pray that by your grace, your spirit would continue to guide us, teach us, train us, discipline us, so that we can continue to grow and experience life change in you. God, we pray this by your grace, in your name, amen.